please remain standing and pray with me. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, I pray that you would receive us this morning into your presence around your throne, where seated beside you is the Lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world, who is indeed the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the King that we have all longed for in this world. May we see a new vision, a renewed and refreshed vision of Jesus. This morning we pray in the name of your Son. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning and happy Christ the King Sunday. For those of you who may not know, this is the end of the Christian year and this is Feast of Christ the King. We celebrate as we end our year that indeed Jesus Christ reigns supreme in heaven over all the earth. This is what we come to this morning to do, to worship the risen King. If you would, I invite you to turn with me to our lesson from Revelation chapter 1. You can do in a pew Bible on your phone, or if you brought your own Bible, we'll be in Revelation chapter 1. Not Revelations, though that is a common uh, thing that is said, but Revelation. The book of Revelation is an apocalypse, right? An unveiling of King Jesus addressed originally as a letter to the seven churches in Asia Minor. And these seven churches, as we can see, if we were to read on in chapters 2 and 3, are affirmed by Jesus for untiring and vigilant work, for brave suffering, for courageous witness, for growing and developing discipleship, and for brave steadfastness. Yet, they also struggled. They struggled with sin, They struggled to follow the way of King Jesus under the ordinary conditions of their time and place there in the Roman Empire. And their struggles varied. Just like our struggles in this life as Christians vary from individual to individual and from church to church. Some struggled with sin, with twisted sexual desires and sexual immorality. Others struggled because they were indifferent to false teachers and false teaching. Some struggled to remain faithful because of the pressures and allurement of wealth, ease, and comfort. Some struggled to maintain the love for Jesus they had when they first became Christians. And others struggled with the loss of employment, the loss of social standing, and in one case, the loss of life with Antipas there in Pergamum because of their faithful witness to Jesus. This was a collection of churches who were also struggling. And the common element in each message to these churches was a call to uncompromising allegiance to Jesus. That was summed up, if you read read in 2 and 3, it's summed up, to the one who conquers. To the one who conquers. The overarching danger then for these churches was that of misguided or misplaced allegiances. Their allegiance to King Jesus was tested and pulled in a variety of ways represented in those struggles we just noted. Will they remain loyal? Will they remain loyal? This was a live question for the churches of Asia Minor when John writes to them what he saw and heard of this revelation of Jesus. And if we're being honest with ourselves, this is a live question 
for us, for our church, and for the church more broadly. Will we remain loyal to the King, to King Jesus? And these same struggles still test our allegiance today. Like the churches of Asia Minor, our allegiance to Jesus is constantly contested. There are a myriad of things that pull at us and compete for our loyalty. Though we have been set free by Jesus from sin, it still operates within us. Paul tells us this in Romans 7, seeking to pull at our allegiance away from Jesus in order to follow after our own twisted desires, our own disordered affections. As in every age, we are tempted to tolerate false teaching and false teachers in the church. In our age, we are tempted to tolerate false teaching concerning what it means to be a flourishing human person, particularly as it concerns human sexuality, gender, the body, the unborn, and we could go on and on, and there are other issues as well. The allurement of wealth and ease, particularly within our country, and the allurement of social standing and prestige is a strong motivator, a strong motivator to weaken or to abandon altogether allegiance to Jesus as king. And it is often at play, this is often at play when Christians are tempted to tolerate or even promote by silent complacency agendas and dogmas that run contrary to God's revealed will in Jesus, the revelation of Jesus, and Holy Scripture more broadly. We still struggle like those churches in Asia Minor with misguided allegiances and misplaced loyalties. Do we not? Don't you, don't you feel the tug every day? I know I do. So what's God's response? What's God's response to churches struggling to maintain their allegiance to King Jesus? Look there at the first verse of chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his servant the things that must soon take place. What's God's response? God's response is giving to us a fresh vision of Jesus. You're struggling? See Jesus anew. Look at him again and again and again. This vision, this revelation, this unveiling of Jesus originates from God who gave it to Jesus, who gives it to an angel, who gives it to John, who gives it to the churches. And there's a lot. This, I hope this is not one of those phone conversation games. I don't think it is. But this is a vision originating from God that God has given Jesus of Jesus to give to his churches so that they might endure faithfully what lay ahead of them. And we may ask, why? Why? Why a fresh vision? Why a fresh revelation of Jesus? Don't these churches already know him? Don't we already know Jesus? Why do we need a new vision, a new revealing or unveiling of Jesus? And of course they knew Jesus. And of course we know Jesus. But Scripture constantly reminds us from the garden onward that there are other stories in this world competing for our attention and our allegiance. We understand this, don't we? We live in a world saturated with marketing, a world of brands competing for our loyalty. In fact, there's a whole science and psychology surrounding brand loyalty and how to generate it. 
Brands want loyal customers who are devoted to their products or services, and they demonstrate, they want them to demonstrate their loyalty by repeat purchases, despite competitors who are also at the same time attempting to lure us away from their products to purchase their own products or services. And this is exactly what the people of God have faced in every age, a world of stories, full of stories, claiming to lead to the good and flourishing life that compete for our allegiance, that seek to lure us away from the true king, Jesus Christ. And so God's response is to give us what? More and more of Jesus. A clearer and bigger picture of Jesus. God wants this revelation of King Jesus to be constantly before our eyes and in our ears. He wants Jesus to reorder our twisted desires and reconfigure our anemic imaginations. And he does all this when we submit to him as king. And how does this revelation of Jesus work? How does it do this work? Well, Here's the structure of it. Revelation leads to worship. Worship leads to allegiance. And allegiance leads us back to revelation and worship. It's a circle of, of life here as the people of God. Revelation leads to worship. Worship to allegiance. Allegiance leads us back to see Christ revealed again. And we can do nothing but respond to that in worship. So what's revealed about Jesus here in our reading? Look at verses four through six, if you have your scriptures. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. That's God the Father, the ancient of days. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. That's the Holy Spirit. If you go back to Zechariah chapter four, that'll explain why there's seven mentioned there. And from Jesus Christ the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. To him, to Jesus, who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. John gives us here two sets of three identifying characteristics about Jesus. Did you hear them? Right? And from Jesus, what? The faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. And then to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. John gives us here these two sets of three identifying characteristics. And these sets overlap and correspond to one another. First, Jesus is the faithful witness who loves us. The faithful witness who loves us. In his incarnate life and preeminently in his death on the cross, Jesus faithfully bore witness to God the Father and his love for us. Just listen to 1 John. John writing there in his epistle. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and did what? Sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. On the cross, 
Jesus reveals God and his love for us by becoming a propitiation. That is an atoning sacrifice that removes our sins. The cross is the preeminent way that Jesus is the faithful witness, and it is the preeminent way that he demonstrates his love for us. So Jesus is the faithful witness who loves us. He was loyal to God the Father, even in the face of death. And this is why Antipas at the church of Pergamum is called a faithful witness. Because he was faithful, he was loyal to Jesus, even to the point of death. Just as Jesus was faithful and loyal to his Father, even to the point of death. Jesus maintains his allegiance to God by faithfully executing his mission to love and to redeem us. You know what that means? You are loved. You are loved. We need a fresh vision of Jesus' love for us. It's easier, I think, to give our allegiance, our loyalty to one who loves us without reservation and without limit, who pours himself out for us completely. Second, Jesus is the firstborn from the dead who has freed us from our sins by his blood. Apart from God raising Jesus from the dead, his death on the cross would have been just that, a death on a cross. A lot of people died that death. It would, have, it would not have been a propitiation. It would not have been an atoning sacrifice that frees us from our sins. The resurrection of Jesus is God's stamp of approval on Jesus' way of life, the way of the cross, the cruciform way of living. And it is his acceptance, the resurrection is his acceptance of Jesus' death as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And for Jesus, his resurrection is his victory over not only sin, but also death and the dark forces of this present evil age. And throughout the, this book, the book of Revelation, we see Jesus, the Lion of Judah, who conquers as what? The slain but living lamb. A beautiful reversal. I love that part there in, in Revelation 5 that John hears the Lion of the tribe of Judah, but when he sees, he sees a lamb slain. He conquers, Jesus conquers all who at present contest the rule of God and malign his loved and freed people. Whether they be dark spiritual forces in the heavenly realm or wicked human rulers or systems of injustice in the earthly realm. Jesus is the victorious king who was and is and is to come. We may struggle to see his victory at times in our lives and in this world because we still live in contested territory. And so we must renew our vision of Jesus as the conquering lamb so that we may free, live free from those who have, whom he has defeated, free from sin. Church, Christian, you are free. You are loved, you are free. Free from giving your allegiance to things that lead you away from God and toward death. Third, Jesus is the ruler of kings on earth. This is Christ the King Sunday. That's why these passages are selected. Jesus is the ruler of kings on earth, and he has made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. 
in his resurrection, Jesus won the victory and was crowned universal king, universal Lord, when he ascended to the throne of God in heaven. Jesus is the sovereign king who reigns over heaven and earth. As Abraham Kuyper has famously said, there is not one square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Jesus, who is king over all, does not exclaim, mine. And the revelation that God gives us is that King Jesus will return. We heard it read. As Paul even declares in 2 Thessalonians 1, with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ruler of all kings on earth. He is the king of kings. And when he returns, those kings, presidents, prime ministers, senators, congressmen, MPs, governors, mayors, aldermen, City councilmen and women will have to give an account for their actions and for their inactions, for their allegiance or lack of allegiance to Jesus. This claim that Jesus is king relativizes, relativizes your political or ideological allegiances in this world. Whether right or left, or anything else in between, or forward or backwards, Jesus Christ as king over this world relativizes them all. And we too will have to give an account one day for our allegiances. We must move beyond as Christians, Christ the king being a mere slogan. We clink our glasses to, and we must have it and actually have Jesus the king redefine our lives reorient our lives. God assures us that Jesus will return to claim the earth as his own and us as his people. Jesus is the once and future king we have always longed for. But until he returns, King Jesus has made us, until he returns, King Jesus has made us into a parallel kingdom with all the kingdoms of this world, a parallel society with all the other societies of this world that we inhabit them. But as Christ's, owned by him, loved by him, freed by him, priests, as the people of God, we inhabit all these other places as priests to this king and to his God. You are employed by the king. You are loved, you are freed, and you are now employed by the king. All those baptized into Jesus, the king, offer priestly worship in this world, in their homes and neighborhoods, in their vocations and civic engagements. They offer priestly worship by offering their whole lives as spiritual sacrifices, by radically giving of ourselves for others and by interceding for the world in prayer. This is the revelation of Jesus the King that is expanded and elaborated upon throughout the book of Revelation. And this revelation, this unveiling of King Jesus leads us to what? To worship. It leads us to doxology. Did you hear it? 
to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory, be doxa, and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And if you read throughout Revelations, all the horrible stuff that you see that you try to make sense of are broken up by these beautiful visions of worship. Visions of Jesus revealed. And the saints in heaven falling down prostrate. Angels falling down prostrate. Weird creatures falling down prostrate. The elders falling down prostrate, worshiping the Lamb who is King. Every week when we gather together here on the Lord's Day, we come to see a fresh revelation of Jesus, the faithful witness who loved us. The resurrected one who freed us and the king of kings who employs us as priests. And our proper response, beginning here and moving out from here into the city, is worship. Worship. As priests of God, we All are to offer our lives as living sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving to the one who loves us, who has freed us, and who has employed us as his representatives, as his witnesses, as his priest. Revelation leads to worship. And worship leads to allegiance. This is why God has revealed this to his churches. We give our loyalty to what we worship. And through worship, we declare our allegiances. As we come to the end of the Christian year, it is a good time as it is to come to the end of anything and take stock. Take stock of our lives. Take stock of what or whom we worship. What or whom are you worshiping? To what or to whom do you give your allegiance Is it the Republican or Democratic parties or their politicians or Libertarians or some other smaller party? Is it some set of ideological claims on a yard sign? Is it yourself? Your career, your happiness, your children, your twisted desires that you worship and give your allegiance to? We must take stock on a day like this day when we gaze again at Jesus Christ, the ascendant and risen Lord. And this question again is live for us. Will we be loyal? You will be loyal to what you worship. God knows this. That's why he gave us this book. He made us this way. And that is why he gives churches struggling with misguided and misplaced allegiances a fresh revelation of Jesus, the King of Kings. So that they may fall down again and again in worship of the Lamb who is worthy to receive all honor and glory. Do you need to renew your allegiance, your loyalty to King Jesus today? I think we all do, to some degree or another. And as we close, how? How do we renew and maintain our allegiance to King Jesus? There's so many things that we could say here, but one is utterly foundational to all others. We show up every Sunday for worship to see afresh Jesus Christ revealed and unveiled and we respond 
and thanksgiving and prayer and worship. And we move out from here and we respond with further worship by living obedient lives. Look at verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. These blessings assume that the people of God are gathering together to read the scriptures, to hear them, to hear and see the revelation of God in Jesus and that these people are to respond in worship seen here chiefly, chiefly as lives, lives lived in obedient submission to the one revealed as king. As we close, I recently became aware, this is something that some of us who were at Convocation and Synod a few weeks ago will have heard this quote that was given. It's from Father Daniel Berrigan. Faith or allegiance is rarely where your head is at. It's rarely where your heart is at. Your faith or your allegiance is where your butt is at on a Sunday morning. So this Christ the King Sunday, let us renew our allegiance to Jesus by committing to put our butts in these seats every Sunday morning to see afresh a revelation of Jesus in word and sacrament and to respond in worship of him who is truly worthy. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.